It is so good to see everyone here. And if this is your first time joining us, a special welcome to you. So glad you are here. So are you comfortable? You're in your seats? You're only going to need the edge. Are you ready for this? Okay. That's as funny as I get. So I hope that's okay with everyone. We are in the, well, we're in the second week of a series called Conflict. And you might be saying, whoa, 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 why, why is a church talking about conflict? Well, we see it in scripture. And what this series is not, it's not just do these five things and conflict will go away or something like that. What we want to do is this. Uh, we want to see how conflict can bring about a richer experience of peace, joy, and connection for all who are concerned. As we have this relationship with the God of the Bible, we, there will be some conflict, and we want to take a look at that. And the reason that we will have conflict, and this is, this is my, my one-liner for, uh, for the whole sermon, okay? Here it is. We will have conflict because God is always God, even when we don't want him to be. God is always God, even when we don't want him to be. And we're going to be looking at that through the life of Jonah. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, please turn to Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. We're also going to be in Matthew chapter 12. You can go ahead there as well. If you do not have a Bible, the connection table that you passed on the way in here, we have some Bibles for you. We would love for you to take one of those. That is our gift to you. Uh, we want to be people of the book here at the church. In fact, we have a weekly, weekly Bible reading program. So whoever's preaching produces a uh, or provides a week, week's worth, uh, week's worth, a week's worth of, um, of Bible reading. And so that's going to be on your home feed. You can find that on our website. So we'd love for you to join us being people of the book. But we're going to be looking at the life of Jonah. Now, here's the story. We could take some time and read all four chapters. I time myself, it's about seven minutes, but I'm not going to do that because I talk very slow and I need those seven minutes. So here is the story. This is one of the few short stories that we find in the Old Testament. And the account of Jonah starts this way. I'm gonna read the first part and then I'll tell you the rest of the story. Jonah chapter one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Just imagine that. How cool would that be? I mean, have you ever said, God, just tell me, he's doing it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. I, th I just think that's cool. The son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish, or excuse me, flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with him to Tarshish. He really likes Tarshish, and I keep messing it up. And he wants to go there away from the presence of the Lord. So that's what Jonah did. Here is this prophet. By definition, he is a person for God. That's his job. If you want to know what God is thinking, what God wants, you go to this guy but when God comes to this guy, what does this guy do? He runs away, okay? This is our character. Sometimes we see this in Sunday school as the hero, right? This is Jonah who ran away from God, but 
I'm, spoiler alert, there's a big fish involved and swallows him up and all that. And we see kind of Jesus as a hero. But as Pastor Greg said a few weeks ago, there are no heroes in the Bible except for one. And that's Jesus. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as well. But as he's on the ship, he's fleeing away from God. Even the pi- pirates, sorry, even the ship people. <laughs> I, I watched Veggie Tales to prepare for this. I hope that's okay. I have time. I don't have much time. I have kids. I had to kill two birds with one stone. So I hope that works. <laughs> the people on the boat. (laughs) So he's there and they know that he's a Hebrew. They know that he's a man of God. They know this. And all of a sudden, this supernatural storm, that's the only way that you can describe it. The supernatural storm comes and scares the men on the boat so bad. I mean, these are men of the world. These are men of the sea, but they start crying out to all the gods that they know. It says to their own gods. So whatever gods they would have heard through their travels, they just start crying out. But nothing's happening. So they say, hey, there's one other guy on this boat that has a god. Let's wake him and ask him. So they wake him and say, hey, you're the Hebrew. Do you know why this is happening? And Jonah says, yeah, I, I know why this is happening. It's happening because of me. And now these men on the ship start preaching to Jonah, telling him, why would you make God angry? Don't do that. That's not good. You need to pray to him now. And they said, no, you know what? This is what you need to do. Jonah says, throw me in the ocean. Now we may say that is noble, but to a Hebrew, what's he saying? Just kill me. Just throw me in. I don't want to deal with this. And now these men who are crying out to every God except for the God of the Bible say, no, we know what you're doing your God's going to be mad at us. Then your blood will be on our hands. So no, you, you got to get this right with God. You, you got to do this now. They're preaching to Jonah. How cool is that? But they come to an agreement. They throw Jonah in. And right when Jonah enters the water, the storm stops. The men are changed. Awesome. But where's Jonah now? Jonah is now sinking to his death or he thinks. And here you have a big fish. The next part of the story, a big fish comes, swallows Jonah, where he will be for the next three days. Now, some of us see, oh, that's his punishment. But in many ways, no. That just means God is still in the story. He saved him. He came and he saved him. And Jonah knows this because in chapter two, actually, we're not going to read through this, but in your D groups this week, this is what you're going to be going through. The prayer of Jonah. It's kind of an apology. Not really. <laughs> not really. He still thinks he's right. <laughs> but he, does, he quotes Exodus 34 and saying, God, you were you the God. You will save. And so it, it is a good prayer, but it's not necessarily admitting <laughs> that you know, what he wants to see God do will change. And so, but he says, God, your God, you have rescued me from, Sheol is the word, but from the grave, you've rescued me from the grave. And he does. After three days of straight praying, the fish spits him up on the ocean, okay? Or excuse me, spits him up on the sea. Or uh, (laughs) spits him up on dry land, on the beach. Now, this is cool. The Hebrew word for vomit. Are you ready? Ka. Can you say that with me? 
So if you learn anything today, don't, don't learn that. Okay. But I love this because God's plan didn't change. He still wants him to go preach to his enemies. He still wants Jonah to tell others about him. And so Jonah goes and he goes into the city. It's about a three-day journey and he preaches this. And then in chapter three, the news comes to the king of that city. Again, this is an evil city, but they change right away. Whoa, the king says, we're making a God upset. We need to change this. And so they change. Now, if you've ever read the story of Jonah in a children's book, typically and usually chapter four is omitted. It's not there. What happens in chapter four? Is Jonah excited that his enemies are now his friends? He's mad to the point where he even says, God, what you're doing right now is evil. Wow. And that's how it ends. That's crazy, right? That's how it ends. And what I want to do is I want to look at this today um, because th what a fascinating story and account that this is. I mean, look at the satire that is in this. It's absolutely brilliant. It's kind of like a Wes Anderson film, if uh, anyone likes this. Like, because it's so ironic, everyone in this story, except for God, does not do what they should do. Wow. Right? You have God. He does what he's supposed to do. But you have a man of God that when he hears God's voice, he runs away. You have people on a boat that when they see that God can do what he does, they turn to God. You have a king who kills God's people, destroys other nations, but when they hear that there's another God and that he's angry with them, they change. Like, it, it's such a bizarre tale. Like, no one does what they're supposed to do in this. And so what I want to do is, since we're talking about conflicts, I want to look at four specific conflicts that we see happening in the story. And the first one is actually with the story itself. <coughs> the book of Jonah can bring, uh, can bring conflict strictly because of its nature. It's the only book of the prophets in the Old Testament that is purely narrative. It's complete storytelling. And unlike other prophets, Jonah... It's pretty much nasty the entire time. And a question that has come up in theological circles is, hey, is Jonah a historical book or not? And it's kind of like a Christian litmus test in a way. Do you remember that? People are saying, hey, do you believe this is a historical book? Because if not, then you don't believe in Jesus. And that, that's kind of been what's happening just over this story. Because here you have a real historical person in Jonah. He's found in 2 Kings. He prophesies on behalf of the Lord. But we also have a big fish and quick growing plants and these things that are just kind of like, yeah, that kind of sounds childish and not real. But I mean, come on, Jesus rose from the dead, right? So if he can do that, I think he can use some miracle crow to teach one of his servants a lesson. Just saying. But I think one of the questions that we need to be asking is, what did the author intend with this book? The book of Jonah is peculiar because it has a historical figure, but it doesn't give a name to the king. It doesn't give a date of when this, hap 
when this happened. And it seems that the details are generalized so that any reader at any time can relate to this. Now, were these ser series of events really experienced by Jonah? Or is this something like a parable? Or something just inspired by the life of other historical figures? Here's the conflict. Here's the conflict. If we would say, ah, or here's the fear of the conflict. If this is not a historical book, then we don't have to believe it. And if you stop believing that, then what will you stop believing in next? And that's the conflict. That's a big conflict. But here's wherever you land. If you want to talk about this afterwards, please, I would love to talk to you. I've been studying this all week. But wherever you land on this, whether this is historical, a parable, whatever this is for, you have to keep a few things in mind, just like with anything that comes from God. Both historical and parable, the truth is they still glorify God. The reality is an author has chosen a specific literary vehicle to communicate a specific message to the reader. We must read it the way that it was intended to be read. And no matter how that is, you cannot deny the theological message that is being expressed through the story of Jonah. The book was written to point to the heart of God. This is God's word. Read the message and let it mess with you a little bit. It may not be how you personally want it to be, like the Jonah's Kids book. Let's just get rid of that last chapter. But it is God's word for you, no matter what you believe. Can we agree with that? Yeah. I'm going to take that as a yes. Okay. And that goes to our next conflict. When in conflict with God, he is better than your personal beliefs. When in conflict with God, he is better than your personal beliefs. God spoke and Jonah made his choice. He could have said, yes, God, and be ready, but he fled. But, now think for a second, did Jonah have a point into running away? I mean, this isn't just a story about God saying, hey, Jonah, your neighbor stole your goat and you need to go make things right with him. No, he said, your enemies, the people that when they see you will want to kill you, I want you to go tell them about me. Wow. Right? That is huge. There's some pictures behind me. You can see the, these are archaeological um, artifacts from the Assyrian palace reliefs narrating the story of what the Assyrians would do to the people of Judah. And as you can tell, this is very violent. Yes, Jonah has a case. I don't want to die today, God. Can, can I take something else? So the Jewish reader who would be reading this would have sympathized with Jonah. And I wonder if we can relate. I think we can. We have enemies in our lives. Just as uh, we started this series, this conflict series, with enemies, uh, Pastor Greg preached on that last week. If you have not heard it, please go online, uh, go to our sermons page and listen to it. Fantastic stuff. We've been going through that with our DGs, uh, the, our discussion groups this week as well. But we all have enemies in this life. We do. We have people who will disagree, and maybe they'll disagree violently. If you come from another culture, historically, you will have enemies. If you like music, country music is your enemy. <laughs> I, I should have deleted that. Sorry, Glenn. My, my bad. Okay. 
But this is the thing. Whatever culture, whatever has happened to you, you have an enemy. And this book is to show that, guess what? Your enemy needs God's grace as well, just as we do. And we see God's grace for Jonah's rebellious heart as we looked uh, in verse 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. But how will God make it possible for me to serve him in the uncomfortable places, to love those that hurt me? How? Because we have real past represented in this room. How are we going to let God do that? We're going to let him be God and show us how he did it for us because he made it possible himself. And this is my second conflict. When in conflict with God, he, being God, surpasses your expectations. When in conflict with God, he will surpass your expectations. We see Jonah referenced in Matthew chapter 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to, or will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Here's what's happening. The teachers of the time are listening to what Jesus is saying. And they say, okay, okay, if this is going to be happening, give us a sign. Because Jesus is talking about the kingdom, the way life should be. The thing that he is bringing to change life as we know it, it is coming. And they say, okay, okay, that's great, but give us a sign. Give us a sign. And Jesus says, me. That's all you get, me. Just also in the temple, as people are saying, hey, well, what's going to be happening here? He goes, hey, in three days, the temple's going to fall. In three days, it's going to rise again. Wait, what? How is that going to be it's him. It's him. He is the one that will take the sins of the world, die a death that was meant for us, and three days later, raise again on our behalf. And that is what he's talking about. And when they are asking to give a sign, the only sign you will get are these two things, Jesus says. Here's the first sign. The people that you would never think will turn to God will. Why, why is he listing all these other tribes, all these other kings and queens that have nothing to do with the Jews saying, hey, I'm not just dying for you. I'm dying for all. And then he says, how will Jonah get this message to Nineveh but through a three-day watery grave? Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? So in this story, Jesus is saying, as in all stories, Jonah's not the hero. 
Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the better and perfect Jonah. He listens to the Father's voice instead of running away. He will face any storm. He will be in the watery grave for three days. He will present God's message to all of his enemies. And he will take a, dot, or he will take a death that was meant for us. And in the same way, we need to die to ourselves just as he died for us. Whatever our expectations are, they will be shattered by the reality of who Jesus wants to be in your life, in your neighbor's life, in your family's life. Well, God, if you only did that, no, you have to let God be God. You have to let him save as he saves. That brings us to our third conflict. When in conflict with God, we must remember that he is bigger than our hope for this generation. And this is what I mean by that. We see that there can only be one God in our generation, and he is a God of redemption. In chapter three, Jonah carries out God's command, which I find interesting. God's plan never changed. Even though Jonah ran away, and in a way came back to God, the plan still didn't change. Awesome, glad you're back on the team. Go to Nineveh. What, no, okay. <laughs> um, and so Jonah goes. And he goes to tell them the evil that they have done against God. But this is interesting. In the Hebrew, he literally has a five-word sermon. Your time is up. You're going to die soon. That's it. There's no mention of God. There's no mention of repentance. It's just your time is up. What's it say in chapter 3, verse 6? And the word reached, those five words, reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in the ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the, from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. So we read this. But should we be surprised that God acted this way? Should we? John Orberg writes this. Redeeming is what God is into. He is the finder of directionally challenged sheep, the searcher of missing coins, the embrace... Oh, do you know some directionally challenged sheep? Okay. The embracer of foolish prodigal children. His favorite department is lost and found. If there is one way that human beings consistently underestimate God's love, it is perhaps in his loving longing to forgive. Over the centuries, generations of God's people have identified with Jonah's waywardness, his repentance and eventual obedience to God's call in his life. I want to take a second and challenge us at, at the church. 
At the beginning of the year, in January, we had a challenge given to us. And it was called Belief for One. And it was simply this, that this year, everyone in our church will be praying for one person in their relational circle to have a conversation about Jesus and by His grace, give their life to Him. Do you remember this? It's still happening, okay? (laughs) It's still happening. We as a church want to have a belief for one. Now, just give you a little update. Since February, we have had 33 brand new connect cards, people who have never been in this church and have been invited by you. Awesome. So awesome. We have two salvations that I know of because people have taken this challenge seriously to believe that God would save one person in their relational circle this year. And by that, our church, naturally, it should double. How cool would that be? And through this, to reach one, start a conversation. You can use the blue card. And the reason that we use the blue card is, again, some of you have the gift of evangelism, but what we want is we want them to be able to reproduce this. The same way that someone was saved, now they know how to lead someone to the Lord. Get connected to a community. We had a community last night, which was awesome, I think. I wasn't there. Was it awesome? Okay, good. It was awesome. Uh, We also have D groups that meet during the week as well. And this is time where people come together, both knowing God and not knowing God, and have courageous conversations, talking about why God matters, why His Word matters with our relationship with Him others in the world. So church, I I just want you to know I'll be praying for you in that. And please be praying for me. But if we could just believe that God would use us in some way for that one person. Maybe some of you have been believing for a while. Keep believing. Keep believing. Okay, back to Jonah. We're going to conclude very soon. At the end of the book, God's redemptive work is happening. But Jonah is now even more angry at God than ever. In fact, Jonah says, God, what you are doing right now is evil. A a supposed man of God, called by God to reach his enemies, God does the impossible. He sees it, and instead of saying, wow, God, you did it again, he goes, God... What are you doing? Literally verbatim, I knew you would do this. I knew that you could not help yourself and give grace to these people. I knew it. And I see what you're trying to do, but you don't see what I'm trying to do. And because of that, there's conflict and you're evil. Now this is heavy. So let me give you a personal story to unpack this. Now, a couple weeks ago, I woke up my daughter, Penny. She's six years old. We're late for school constantly. But today, I wanted it to be something different. So I woke up, Penny, and I said, Penny, 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 wake up. Yes. We got to go to school. Wake up. Come on. So I get her out of bed, 
And we did some exercises. And you know what? Some of you are sleeping on me. So you're going to do these exercises with me. Put your hands up. Come on. I'm not playing. Put your hands up. And I said, okay, Penny, reach for this guy. Now reach that way. Yes. Now reach this way. And the whole time, hey, ho. No. Okay. And while she's doing it, Penny's going, <laughs> just not feeling it. But I'm like, yeah, maybe she's a little tired. That's okay. Breakfast. Breakfast will help her. All right, Penny, sit her at the table. Today we're having pancakes. That's right, because mom cooked them last night. So we're having, <coughs> we're having pancakes. And she looks at the pancake and goes, <laughs> and starts to cry a little bit. I'm like, oh man, I, I thought I was doing well. Okay, Penny, we're going to be late. Come on, let's go get dressed for school. So we go get dressed. I'm like, Penny, you need to wear these pants and this shirt. And she takes the pants, throws them on the ground. And you can tell in her little face, starts shaking, about to blow up. And before she blows up, I say, Penny, I'm sensing a lot of emotion here. Can you tell me what's wrong? And she goes, kid you not. Dad, you're ruining my life. <laughs> Six. Penny, how am I ruining your life? You woke me up. I wanted to sleep. Okay. I wanted to watch TV. You made me stretch. Well, but Penny, with... If you watch TV this early in the morning, I want you to get some food in you, get some fuel, <laughs> and my clothes. <laughs> oh no, breakfast. I'm like, oh, Penny, what's wrong with breakfast? I wanted chocolate chips. You gave me pancakes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then my clothes. What's wrong with your clothes? I wanted to wear a skirt. You're making me wear pants. <laughs> Well, Penny, it's cold outside. I wanted you to be prepared for the elements. <laughs> now, in that scenario, you might say, okay, I know what you're trying to do, Pastor, but I'm not a kid. And Matt, you're not perfect. I know that. I'm not telling you this. God is. <laughs> God saying that he is sufficient. When he says something, it is worth living, or excuse me, it is worth listening to, and it is worth responding to. He is a loving father. And so you might be saying, okay, okay, but that's a tough one. Where, where's, where's the happy ending? Where's the happy ending? Doesn't it get better for Jonah? Doesn't God say something that just makes sense and makes it all better? Yes, he does. Are you ready? Jonah chapter 4, verse 10. And the Lord said, You pity the plant because he was under a plant that God gave him for shade. And then the plant died because of a worm that God provided. 
and now he's even more angry. And he's angry that the plant is dead. And God says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also their animals? What, God? Literally the last word of this story is animals. Some translations have cattle. This is the God we're dealing with who says, hey, I don't change. I care for those people. You knew this. And guess what? I care for their animals too. If that didn't make you mad enough that I cared for the people, guess what? And it's like, what? What is going on here? And so I want to conclude with this. I can invite the worship team up. But the fact is, when you read the Bible, when you read God's word, he didn't have to speak it into existence, but he did. When you read his word, you are invited into a story. And I heard the best way to read specifically the story of Jonah is to imagine yourself looking into a mirror that God is holding. So do that with me. Imagine that you were looking into a mirror that God is holding. If you obey God, you will reflect him because it's his words, his instruction, his loving father ways looking out for you as his child. But if you do not obey if it does not fit your beliefs, your expectations, and your hopes, then you will see who your real God is. Either him or you. So where's the real conflict? In this life, the plans will change. We know that. The storms will come. The expectations will shatter. Our hopes will seem dim. And when that happens, will you be eagerly listening to your father's voice or will you run when you hear it? Jesus, the perfect and better Jonah, is calling us to the father. Will we respond? Will we go? Will we listen? And so as we read this story, and this is from God. This is directly from God. For all people to look at and to see this is who we are dealing with. A God whose plans will go beyond our plans, whose grace will extend further than we could ever imagine. Are you telling me that God would even love so-and-so? Absolutely. Before you even thought of it, he did. Are you saying God can change? Absolutely before that thought even came in your mind. But now that it's there, will you trust him to do it? And so as we go into a time of response right now, we're gonna respond in three ways. We can sing. I'm gonna have two communion people help me here. Uh, and what communion is, this is a way to show what God has done for us and how we will respond. The two elements that you see, there's two cups, there's bread underneath, and then there's juice on top. And the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. Again, he came to this earth to show how he would relate to us. And he took our sin and our shame and our payment, our debt 
that was owed. And he took that willingly upon himself. And the juice represents, how did he make that possible? He was the perfect sacrifice. There was no sin in him. He listened to the Father at all times for us. And so as we come and we partake in this, this is a way of saying, God, I remember what you've done for me, and I'm in. I'm still listening because I still need this. And so for those who have responded to God in this way by saying, Jesus, I want you. I want you in my life as my life. Then I invite you to come. And if, if you haven't done that yet in your life, I would encourage you to wrestle with these things, to talk to someone about them and to think of the things that we just heard who this God is. We'll also have a time of prayer, as was mentioned earlier. And so if you'd like to pray, you can come down uh, this way and go in there, and there will be someone there who would love to pray with you. But as we conclude, you know, sometimes when we hear, at least when I heard conflict with God, I wanted to first say, no, no, we don't have conflict with God. No, no, no. But, we do. If you will not let God be God, you will have conflict. You just will. Because He loves this world more than we do. He loves you more than you love yourself. And that mercy and that grace and that compassion will always extend. And if we can't trust that, that will conflict with how we think, how we think things should be with our beliefs. It's good that we have beliefs. It's awesome if you have beliefs on Jesus. But you're not Jesus. His ways are always higher. His ways are always better. It's good if you have expectations. It's good if you make plans. But they're not like His expectations and His plans. They are better. And it's good if we care for people. But God will always care more. And how do we join that and trust Him to be God in that? If you could join me in prayer, and then we're going to respond with a few songs, communion and prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you now, and we just thank you for who you are. And Lord, I pray that if there is anything that I have said that would take away from who you are or distract, I pray that you would remove it at this time. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the story of Jonah and for the author who knew, you knew, that we would run away, that instead of being calmed by the presence of your voice, we run and look elsewhere. And Lord, instead of thinking that you could do the impossible, you do, and we need to trust you. And so Lord, whatever we are dealing with at this time, Maybe there's another conflict in our life and we just trust you at this time. Maybe the conflict is with you. God, you've asked me to do this. You've asked me to do this. I've done this and, and that door hasn't opened. That opportunity hasn't provided itself yet. That conversation hasn't taken place. This person hurt me in this. And God, what do we do with that? We still listen and we still trust. And God, would you help us do that? We love you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.